we'll remind ourselves we're overcomers. Whatever our position in life is right now, let us believe that we are overcomers. That we can overcome and we can move forward and we can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh boy, when we get into this area called marriage, what it is? Marriage. There's this thing that we start off with that is totally false. But we jump into it. How many of you have had honeymoon all the way through your marriage? After that first week of honeymoon, boy, game on. Reality sets in. (laughs) Marriage, for some of us, we jumped into it thinking it's going to make us happy. Nowhere in scripture will you find that marriage will make you happy. It may be a byproduct, but it's not something that has guaranteed you that you're going to be happy in marriage. We assume that as individuals. Oh boy, if I marry this woman, if I marry this guy, I'm going to be happy the rest of my life. Wrong, 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 wrong. Oftentimes what we miss in this thing called marriage is our functionality. How we're going to function in it. What's my position? What's my identity? The man and the woman at time loses their identity. And when you lose your identity, you lose who you are in Christ You lose who you are as a purpose of living for God. You lose that. And remember, Satan comes to rob you. And one of the things he wants to rob from the Christian is their identity or their relationship with their God. Marriage was set up for mankind. Period. Period. The whole thing of the word man in the first part of Genesis is in most parts of the Bible can be interpreted humanity or human. But because we get lost in our identity and our function, we don't know how to function in a relationship. And what God shows us through scripture are different relationships requires different functions. A police officer functions differently than a doctor. Yet is a human being. A nurse will function differently than a secretary. Yet both human beings. And what happens in the relationship sometimes 
is that we lose our function. If we lose our function, we're going to lose our identity or that relationship with God. In the marriage, there are many functions that you are playing. And sometimes it does grow wearisome. Uh, There are times you'll get tired of functioning as a wife. You'll get tired of functioning as a husband. You'll get tired of functioning as parents. Isn't it surprising? There are those who want to be mothers and there are those who want to be free from mothering. And the whole process is these functions that God has set upon us. And we have to learn how to function in each role. We, we, we function as the male, as the father, as the provider, as the protector, as the priest, the teacher of our homes. We function in those different capacities. The woman functions as the wife, the mother, the homemaker. And she's functioning in all these different roles as the nurturer, the nurturer of everybody. Because sometime in the house, if you've got three children, then you've got to look at that grown child you're taking care of too. Because there's times that Elaine has to care for me like a child. Because that little child in me comes out. You know. And I just don't want her to be the mother figure. But, but yet she has to care for me. You know. And marriage is difficult. Because of all these different functions. That at times requires a different type of action. And sometimes in marriage you don't know exactly where you're at. Because all these things sometimes just run in together with each other. And sometimes they can move so quickly, only thing you're trying to do is say, give me a break. I got to change roles from here to over here. Give me a break in between while I catch up mentally what's going on here that I can change, that I can function here. And that whole process is something we need to really grapple with. What is my function? Who are you in the marriage? Who are you in the marriage? Because as a husband, you're more than a husband. You are a manager. You're the security for everybody. (laughs) Sometimes that gets old, don't it? See, Elaine, boy, sometimes she can tickle me. As long as that car is running, it's her car. Go where she want to go, do what she want to do. But when that car is not functioning, Gus, Gus, Gus. (laughs) And the whole process is that functioning area again. You're more than just a husband. You're more than just a wife. You're more than just a mother. So, 
what is my position in marriage? And when you lose your functionality in marriage, you would also recognize you have lost your identity or your relationship with the Lord. Because it is God who explains how we are to function as a husband and a wife. It is God who gives the direction on how I behave as a husband, then as a father. God gives me those directions, how I am to function. And then how I am to function as an employee even. So I'm going through all these different behavior mood swings. And yet, God enables me to do it. One of the things we have to recognize, marriage in the United States and around the world is in trouble. Now, as long as men exist, there's always going to be marriage. I have no problem with that. But how marriage is going to function is really beginning to become very shaky. Because we have no real groundwork on what marriage should be. At least we think we do. But I think God shows it to us throughout his word. And today we're going to look a little bit at Adam and Eve and their functionality. Because, see, we're going to trace that function throughout the word of God. But I want to lay a good basis for it. Amen. For the man and for the woman. Both the man and the woman are seeking to know their true identity. Now understand this. If you don't have a strong relationship with Christ, your identity is going to be shaken. (laughs) You're not going to know who you are. And you're going to allow other people, other circumstances, to identify you. Rather than you know who you are in Christ and that your value lies in Him, in God. It's not about what people say about you. It's not the title that you might wear. But who you really are in the eyesight of God. And how God has ordained you as an individual. As an individual. Both the man and the woman are seeking to know their true identity and their function in a given relationship. Because in this relationship, I'm going to function this way. But over in this relationship, I'm going to function differently. So mom and dad have a different relationship and a different function than what they are when they are parenting the children. That's a whole different relationship. And yet, we find ourselves sometimes troubled in both. And I think the main issue is my understanding of who I am in Christ and how God has ordained 
me to function. Question. And this becomes part of the fight sometime in the marriage relationship. Are we equal? Are we equal? Do we have the same quality or the same value? And the answer to that should be yes. Yes, we are equal. But we don't function what? The same. Equal in personhood, but not in function. Equal in personhood, but not in function. And one of the problems that take place in marriage is when the man wants the woman to provide for him or the woman want to take and be CEO of the family. We have problems. We have problems. Both have to run on their own track. Or as well as popular to say, both run in their own lane. And both function the way God has ordained them to function as a husband and a wife. And sometimes what we need to do is just get into Scripture, if I'm a woman, and just study wives in the Bible. It would also help you to identify weak husbands also. But you'll see those stronger women helping a weaker husband. You will also see stronger men who really care for their households and their provision and so forth. And men need to get in and just study, what's a husband? What does a husband look like? And study different men throughout. Do men and women have the same rights and privileges and abilities? Yes, basically. And today what's hurting this ladylikeness is that too many ladies want to open their own door. Too many ladies want to go out, earn the bacon, come home and cook it too to show strength. And sometimes they have to. I understand that point. But do we understand if you put a woman on a jackhammer, what's that going to do to her body? <laughs> do you understand that the truck driver, they came up with an air cushion seat that would float? Because as women begin to drive trucks, that truck was doing this and they discovered more surgeries were taking place, and they identified it as more women who were in type of vehicles without an air cushion seat. And yet, there are those things that we're saying, yes, we're equal, we can do the same thing. So, boy, when I used to work at Chrysler, and, and Chrysler on the door line, that door would weigh somewhere between... 65 to 85 pounds on that door. Now she's making the same thing I make. Was the man's position. 
But she had to grab that door off the conveyor belt, lift it up, and slide it onto a rack. Very few women could do it. Most women, when they were assigned over that area, would let them things hit the floor. Now you got a big union argument <laughs> between company and union. You got the union said they make the same thing as the man, so they should be able to do what? Pick up that 85 pound door, lift it up in the air, put it on the rack. Now, if you can imagine a conveyor belt doing that, you were a half hour on, a half hour off. But as quick as that conveyor belt was bringing them doors down, you had to pick them up, lift them, put them there. Pick them up, lift them, put them there. And the women couldn't do it, so the men say, we can't do it either. And everything shut down. Until there was just a rule that came down. Women would not work on the door lines. They could work in small parts. They could work in the other area, but not on the door line. Charles was a steward. He knows a little bit about that. They, even in rubber companies, when women tried to start building tires, it became, <laughs> it became a big issue. Because rubber is heavy. <laughs> and so forth. So there is that part that, yes, we both have abilities but not the same abilities. God made our bodies differently. Differently. Do we have the same strength and powers? The answer to that is no. Most men, compared to women's mind, the women's mind is always stronger than the man's. She can use both sides of her brain where the man you only function one at a time. No. no. God made her where she can multitask, where very few men can do multitasking. You can't do the cooking and see about the children at the same time. We'll do one or the other, but not both. You know. But we both have our strengths, and we need to understand what those strengths are. We are equal in personhood, but not in our function. Now, God allows us to know there's a difference. Adam recognized there was a difference when he saw Eve. But God then really allows us to see that there really is a difference. Go to me with Genesis 3.16. Because one of the things that break down in marriage is when you begin to see your wife in the same role or function that you're in as a husband. Or the wife begin to see you over in the same function that you are as a man. Now, understand, I understand today's thing. I can run the sweeper. Okay. That ain't my choice per se, but it's a request and we submit one to another. So I run the sweeper. And yesterday, boy, I said, boy, I'm looking on top of the TV 
and I'm looking at some bookshelves and so forth, and dust was just there. And I finally made up my mind, between the commercial of Star Wars, I'm going to get that dust thing and spray them real quick and, and dust it off, you know. We can do dishes. None, none of that stuff hurts our what? Our manhood. Now we're assisting and we're helping. That's all. If we see it in that light. It does not make me a lesser man because I help take care of the house. Picture it this way. If you were by yourself, who would do it? And yet recognizing there's a difference. So in 3.16, once you hear what the Lord says, and we're going to go back a little bit because I'm going to show you God really allows the woman to recognize there's a difference where prior to the fall, in a sense, or getting into this trouble, in one sense we were totally equal, equal. He says, in that 3.16, he says, To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. I showed my wife an article about a week or two ago. And it was the first man who delivered a child. And she looked at that and she said, something wrong with that thing. <laughs> no. And what it was, was a transgender war. And with a lot of medical procedures and help and so forth. But it showed him why he was pregnant and everything and so forth. You know, and you read it, it kind of gets a little disgusting. But yet with medical science and everything, we're muddy in the water. With the things that we're able to do, we're muddy in this whole thing of marriage and family. We need to understand the God of this world is muddy in the waters. That makes marriage difficult. But he says after the fall, boy, what's different about man and woman is this. I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. But when it came to the man, it was not going to be painful in childbearing. Come down into verse 17, the latter part of that verse. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it. Now, both are going to experience a pain, but of a different sort of pain. A different kind of pain. A different hardship. Because of the sin. God puts one upon the woman because she's different then the man, don't give them the same, in a sense, the same punishment per se. But yet, each one is disciplined or punished based on their function and how God has created them. Once you catch that difference, because Satan's world is constantly saying, we're the same, we're the same, we can do the same thing, we're equal, we're this. And that clouds it for us. 
In First Thessalonians, you simply says to the man, three ten, if you don't work, you don't what? It kind of like forces the man to have to do what? Work. Now, our identity in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, I want you to go there with me. Because God is talking even before, in a sense, the woman is created or the man is created. He says, so God created man in his own image. In the image God, he created him. Male and female. Let's stop right there. In the man was, and I got to be careful how I say this. In the man was the woman. In the man was the woman. God describes to us how he created Adam. But you ever take notice? He did not create it, create the woman in the same manner in which he created who? Adam. Different. Different. For he made man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed into man and he became a living spirit or a living soul. But with Eve, he just picked this little bone out of the man and created who? The woman. He just took a bone and created the woman out of who? Out of the man. Because out of the man, the one man, Adam, comes all humanity. Out of that one man. That's why out of that one man, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, all Christians come out of who? In a sense, out of Christ. Okay. And there's that difference again of how they are created, but yet he says something a little bit more in this verse that we need to take note of. And he says, and he created him. Male and what? Female. He created them male and female. He created who? Them. I want you to stay with me on that word them. Because it's important. Because the them is saying, boy, what I, in one sense what I'm giving to one, I'm giving to who? To the other. Now, 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 hang on a little further. And God blessed them and said to who? Them. Who did God bless? He blessed them. And he said to them. Now, them could be no more than just male and female. Male and female. He says, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth. So we have one function that Adam couldn't do on his own. Neither could the woman do on her own. But it would take what? Both. Both. 
And then Hebrews 13 defines that for us a little further. Only in the marriage bed. Only in the marriage bed. And he says to them to multiply. Be fruitful. Increase in number. Fill the earth. Now listen. He's saying it to both. And subdue it. Rule over the fishes of the sea, everything God's created. He says you both will do what? Rule over it. You see the equality here? You both are going to rule. You both have power to rule. You both can have power in your function of taking care of my creation. Now, neither one is created yet, but God is casting what the responsibility is and what they're going to do and their function. When you come into chapter 2, God is in his creating mode and he's creating. And God created man and did what? Put him in the garden to till it, to take care of it. Gave him a job to do in naming all the animals and all that he created in this. So Adam's pretty busy. Now there's an important point here that oftentimes we jump over. It says in 2.15, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, in this time period, Adam is doing his work by what? By himself. Adam doesn't have any help. Adam doesn't have an assistant. Adam don't really have an encourager, but who? God. In this time period alone, young men, listen to me. God's given you a time period to build your relationship with him before you step into another relationship. See that. God's given you a time period to build a relationship with Him, to know Him. Before you step into another relationship. Young ladies, listen. If you are going to get entangled with a young man, make sure he has a relationship that is with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't try to fix it afterwards. Get it straight from the beginning. So God gives Adam time to have a relationship with him. Because if you can't have a proper relationship with me, you definitely will not have a proper relationship with Eve. So God gives that time period. And you look at something else even after God brings Eve. Wouldn't it have been nice if God would have brought Eve and the children? 
But he didn't do that. So you don't see the children come into play, Cain and Abel, until the fourth chapter after the fall. So there was no children while they were in Edom. No children before the fall. But children came in after the fall. And God gives in a marriage relationship, and this is one of the things that hurt our marriage relationship. We have too many shotgun marriages. Now, yes, pregnancy is wrong before marriage. But because a young girl is pregnant and because a young man impregnated a young woman, doesn't mean they should be forced to what? To marry. That's one of the biggest mistakes that we've made in marriage. Because what we're trying to do is say, marriage will make it right now. And marriage will not make it right. It may make some people feel better, but it does not make it right. And here's Adam and Eve And God is dealing with these two even before children come on the scene. And their identity is in him. He's the one who created man and woman. Now, I want you to recognize that. God did that. Because I'm going to ask you a question. Who's all involved in this so-called marriage? Who's all involved in this? And that's important to be able to recognize. Because both the man and the woman have the same authority given by God. In a sense, the same responsibility. Yes, Eve did not name the animals. That's Adam's position. That's Adam's function. And even when Eve was created, God bought Eve or bought her to Adam to name. When you go into the Latin, woman transfers into female. Female means property of the male. Female means property of the male. Whether that meaning is that it's like a piece of property you own or the property that proceeded from the male to the female. But it's the meaning. And the whole process you begin to look at the meaning for identity and so forth. But here's this responsibility. The woman is made who God basically brings to Adam and he names her woman. Now, I want you to catch hold of something. Go to chapter 3. Come on down with me to verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. 
Now, the question I want to ask you, when did the name Eve come up? Not until after the fall. I want you to stay with me again. When you look at it before the fall, Adam always called her by the name that he gave her. And God even responded to her in that way. And what he does, when you look at verse 23 and 2, and she shall be called woman. And when you come on down into four, chapter 3, you will find that the word woman is used quite often. In verse 2, in verse 4, and it continues to call. So when Adam is calling Eve, he would say, woman. Now, stay with me and thought for a moment. Who else was going to answer? Who else was going to answer? Now, take note of this. Wives, I want you to take note of something. Did Eve have any competition? (laughs) Hey, Eve wasn't worried about the animals. There was no Miss Lucy to deal with. (laughs) Hey, and did Eve have? Did Adam have any competition? Now guess what? Within the marriage, is competition. Wearing this don't mean a thing. <laughs> a lot of women don't do not respect it, and a lot of men don't respect it. So it doesn't really mean a thing other than that yes this reminds me not somebody else this reminds me I have a covenant with this young lady over here her ring reminds her that she has a covenant with me but everybody else today it really doesn't have a deep meaning and Adam and Eve never had to worry about adultery want you to hold that thought. Because then what troubled the household? What troubled the household? What caused the house to fall in to trouble? And we're going to see two things. The woman, God created her and God basically stated what she should be. Go with me into verse 20, chapter 2, verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock and birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable what? Helper. No suitable helper. So the main function of this woman is to be a helper. Not to take the role of the man, 
but to be a helper. That within itself becomes a challenge. And we're going to see it. Because you have to be satisfied in that role that you are functioning as God has ordained you to function, that you help this individual. Now, boy, what's that song? I kind of wrote it down here because, uh, boy, we were singing it. Oh, boy, it was so good. I'm willing to be used is what I choose. Is that? I'm willing to be used. Only on the good side or some of the bad things too. What's your limit on your ability to be used? And then the other part. Sanctify me, Lord. Lord, sanctify me in this relationship. Set me apart from everything else. Sanctify me in this relationship. And I choose to be used by him or by her. I choose to be that. And that's a difficult one. That's hard. Ladies, sometimes to stay with a young man, immature, and I use me, I can be very childish at times. Okay? And all my decisions are not the right decisions. And, and that's just part of being who we are as men. But can you be patient with us? That's the hard part. Can you be patient and allow me to grow up? (laughs) Can you be patient and allow me to learn from the Lord? Can you really be patient while I'm going through whatever I'm going through. And the same thing I'm saying for the woman has to also be for the man because in the woman is a little girl also who gets excited about how she looks and how her dial house looks, her home. And can I be patient with her? As she goes through her dream and her desires and her wants for her own. And on both sides, there has to be this area called patience. Why the other one is developing. If we don't, we kind of lose it. Because it's not going fast enough. It's not there yet. And the whole process is that I want it right now. And and that whole process is that I just have to wait on the Lord. No. I have to wait on the Lord. And, And in doing that, I'm looking for God to do something. Go with me real quick. Keep your fingers in Genesis. But go to Romans chapter 8. Go to verse 25. Let me get there. 25. He says, but if we hope for what we do not yet have. See, I don't have the wife 
that I'm really hoping for. I don't have the husband that I'm really hoping for. Will we give each other the opportunity to develop, to grow? In our culture today, we want instant everything. We want an instant perfect husband. We want an instant perfect wife. Will we be there for each other as we are developing, as we are going through our different seasons of life? Are we going through our different anguishness of life? Can we have the patience to wait for God to do the work that only He can do? I can't do it. Only He can do it. So, He simply says, But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it how? Patiently. When we lose that patience with each other, we're ready to run. We're ready to run. And running can become a habit to us in life, in relationships. We'll run. We'll run. The question is, where are you running to? And sometimes we run from one relationship right into what? Another relationship only to take a breather in order to take off running again. And the issue is, can I have patience? Why God is working on the woman or the man. Can I have patience? And not forgetting that that person that I'm with, she's my helpmate. For the man, it's the one that you chose and you asked to marry you. You picked it. Can you live with it? Why is developing? And can she live with you while she's developing? When you go back into Genesis, she's called that helpmate. God allowed Adam to do his job without help. And God, after a while, after he builds his relationship with Adam, he says, Adam, don't have a helpmate. I'll make him a helpmate. But God and the man formed that relationship. But God allowed the man to catch this picture of 1 Corinthians 11.3. That Christ is over man or God is over man. And Adam had to understand that. That there was somebody, even though he has all this authority, even though he's ruling over, there's somebody over him. There's somebody over him. And oftentimes we, we, we miss that. That Adam has to recognize there's somebody over him. In Genesis 3.16 again, and, and, I, and I want to take this word rule. Rule, you can't get boss out of it no kind of way. 
But man think if they rule, they are the boss. I want to put it in your mind. Does God rule over all his creation? In accepting that area of rule, what else has God accepted? He's accepted the responsibility of his creation to govern is to accept a responsibility. Because you accept a responsibility does not make you boss. And if you want to lose a marriage, become the boss, because the boss will stifle the identity of the woman. Because she wants to be able to express her giftedness, her ideals, and yet, in a sense, have a freedom where the boss smothers that. So in the word rule, you cannot get the word boss. It is authority. It is managing. It is giving oversight to. It's guiding, it's directions. And he says to the woman that the husband will have rule over you. In other words, he's going to be responsible for you. Now, a lot of men today, we want to run away from our what? Yeah. The God of this world has made it so that we just want to run, run. So we first started running from the wife. And secondly, we started running and abandoning our what? Our children. We just ran away from responsibility. Now, there's a correction for Adam And for the woman here. For the woman, he says, let me get back to her. In 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire, your desire. will be unto who? Your husband. Your desire will be unto your husband. Now, understand, desire is always selfishness. Desire is always selfishness. And come down with me into verse 6. 
chapter 3, Genesis 3, verse 6. Keep in mind that God says, Woman, your desire will be unto your husband. Catch this now. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also what? The word there is self-interest, in a sense. That now what is important is my own self-what? Interest. When the woman loses interest in her home and in her husband, it only goes to where? Self. Same thing with the man. Same thing with the man. And in the marriage relationship, there cannot be self-interest. There cannot be self-interest. And self-interest, the moment that starts to take hold in a marriage, you need to recognize it is Satan that is enticing you to not care about your wife or your husband. Self-interest. And he redirects Eve by saying, your desire or your interest will be in your husband, not somebody outside of this relationship. But your desire will be to your husband, not to anything else outside this relationship. And in a sense, he says to the man now, you will be responsible, and he allowed Eve to know, he will be responsible for you and all of your needs. Because when you come back up into verse 12, the man said, the woman you put here with me, who is he blaming? He's blaming God. The woman you put here with me, if she wasn't here, I wouldn't have this problem. And God is saying then to the woman, this man is going to be responsible for you. And Adam's right there. And men have been running from their responsibility from that time. And men, when you run from the responsibility of the relationship in the marriage... It's going to crumble. It's going to crumble. It's going to crumble. Now, look what takes place. Turn to, with me to Titus 2.4. Titus 2.4. Because this is what has to be caught and practiced and that you're willing to do it. He says in 2.4, Then they can train the younger women to love their what? Now, let me share something. Now, as I, in my marriage counseling, first thing I try to do away with is this love thing. Because love, you can't define it. And love isn't what you see on TV. But we're all caught up with this love. 
And sometimes I ask them both. You're talking about you love this person. And I use the cross as an example. Are you ready to give your life for this person? Are you willing to lay down everything you own? Because Christ laid down everything. He laid his heavenly position, in a sense, down that he could marry me. (laughs) Because, see, if you're not willing to let go of the things of this world and everything else, and then I start taking books, and I put books in front of me, and I just stack them up. And eventually, with the books, I don't see them, and in a sense, they don't see me. And the books represent problems that take place. And see, the Bible can, nowhere in the Bible does it teach us that you fall out of love. You fall into all kind of problems that distort love. And you can't really see the person that you once valued in the same light in which you valued them before because of all these problems. The person really didn't change, but the problems are distorting what we see. And he comes back again. He says, you have to be taught how to love a person. It's not easy for Elaine to love me. But the Holy Spirit teaches her how to love me. He teaches me how to love Elaine through the different seasons of life. I got a picture downstairs in my office of her when she was graduating from Bukto High School. There had been a lot of changes. Amen. Amen. And on my side, somebody was looking at a picture that was posted when we attended Stowe. And somebody said, I didn't know you was ever that small. (laughs) But we love each other through the change, through the seasons of life. We learn to love each other. And like Melvin was saying in Sunday school, your love for Christ is not the same as when you first met him and you have walked with him. That is the reality of a relationship also. That that love should deepen as you're learning to love that person through the changes of life. For men, Colossians 3.19. Just turn over. And, 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 and it can go both ways. Colossians 3.19. Hey, huh. You have this area of life that sometimes we think, boy, I got it all together. No, we don't. It's, it's a constant ongoing learning to love each other. So in that 3.19, he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be what? Harsh with them. Love them. Don't be harsh. Don't be angry with them. Now, I want to get to this last part, and we're done. I told you to hang on 
to, to a certain area. Let me see if I can get there real quick. We're just going to jump ahead. When he says to Eve, your desire will be to your husband. That this area now will be no longer a self-interest. Ladies, when you start losing interest in your husband, you could almost say the marriage is over because you have an outside interest. Men, basically the same thing. When we lose interest of one another, it's going to be very difficult to bring that marriage back. Because when you get interested in something else, the only thing you're thinking about is who? Yourself. Yourself. The security of self. Marriage, take note of this. Who's for it in the garden? God bought Eve to Adam. He's for it. When you look at Genesis 1, it says, let us make man. And we created it. God, in this threesome, become one. God allows man, in this twosome, to become what? One. Matthew 19, 4. And the whole process, the same thing what God is, God is also expecting a man and a wife to become one. Now the real purpose of marriage, and we'll pick this up later, is to really glorify God. Not about my happiness. Not about me. But really glorifying Him in this relationship that He has permitted and has allowed. Now, I need to know God the Father is for it, the Son is for it, the Holy Spirit is for it, and ministering angels that are ministering to help hold this thing, what? Together. On the other side of that, in the garden, who's against it? And he shows up, called Satan. And his desire is to destroy this marriage. It's to destroy how each one is to function even. The responsibility that Adam is supposed to have for Eve because Adam had that responsibility when God even brought the woman to him to name her. God did not take away that authority, that responsibility that Adam had to name all that he created. Then it gets distorted. Adam will not carry out his responsibility. So when God comes into the garden calling them out, he doesn't call out Eve. He calls out Adam. Why? The responsibility is for Adam, who is the head of his household, who is the priest of his household, the teacher of his household, the one who educates in the things of God, he's calling out Adam, not Eve. And Satan causes Adam to want to cast the blame to God. 
because there's nobody else in the garden to blame. Children didn't come along to the fourth chapter. So they can't blame the children. Yet today, how many children feel they are to blame for a divorce in a situation? Many of them do. But with Adam, can't blame that. Can't blame it on adultery. You can't blame it that some other woman wooed you or some other man wooed you or this or that. You can't blame it. The only one left to blame, really, in a sense, was God. And that's what Adam did. Now, Satan, in his deceptiveness, go with me to 1 John chapter 2. And I think this very much so applies to the marriage for both. In verse 15, the very first thing God says, do not love this world, this system, and how this system value things. See, I enjoy getting on my motorcycle and riding. But that motorcycle cannot take the place of Elaine. Amen. We enjoy certain things as a man, but it cannot take the place of the wife. The wife, her desires and her wants cannot supersede her husband. My career cannot supersede my position as a wife and being a wife to my husband and being a mother and functioning in my role. When you allow something of this world to supersede or to become more important, even as something as simple as your desire to have new carpet or new this, or some things that we say aren't worth fighting about, they're really not worth what? Fighting about. They are a desire. They are a want. And the most important thing in the relationship should be the two people. But if Satan get in there with worldly things, he's going to tear it up. Because the worldly things become more important than the relationship. I had to learn that and Elaine was very patient with me with that. Because as a young man, I bought a new car every two years. And that car was, boy, a lot of what my identity was in. See? And it wasn't going to be no small car. See? And the whole process is that I would buy a car and yet she had needs in the home. But what was important was self-interest. Not home interest. And the word tells the husband to study her that you know her, that you know how to respond to her. And what her needs are. 
And he says, boy, yeah, you get caught up with the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the craving of sinful man, that word craving is strong desires. What did Eve have? A desire. What did Adam have? The desire not to fulfill his responsibility. When your desires become more than what the relationship at that moment can fulfill, then you're in trouble. She can only expect so much out of me. I can only expect so much out of her. I cannot put more upon her than what she's capable at a certain period of time in life to perform or to do. Nor can she put more upon me than what I'm capable of in performing or doing. Watch one of the things that you'll hear, and I hear it over in counseling more and more and more. He should have done. She should have done. The question is, is the real ability there to do? Is the real desire there to do that? Do they see the importance of it as the same as you're seeing it as important? Because, see, your desires can become so strong of what you want that it blinds you to what it's doing to the relationship. It blinds you. Father, we're here.